first reading may be found on page 1194 in the Church Bible and on the screens. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 to 16. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmless desi harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and des destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of King and Lord of Lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is the, from the Gospel of, jo of Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. And it can be found on page 1000. And 53. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming this that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some challenging readings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your gift to us of your Son, and in your Son of all things, all good things to enjoy and to share. We thank you for your word speaking to us this morning. And we ask, Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father in the Son, that you would come upon us now. That you would open our ears to your word to us this morning and open our hearts that we might respond to you with joy and with gladness, as, as did Zacchaeus so many years ago. May your blessing be upon us as you come to spend time with us, seeking out and searching us out wherever we are. Amen. So this month, we've been reminding ourselves of our uh, vision, our vision uh, uh, slogan. Uh, you'll have seen it on the way in to church. Jesus love transforming lives from right here in the heart of South Sea. And our two vision goals for this year, so we've got to become a contemporary house of prayer and worship for Portsmouth and to become a center for following Jesus deeper and further. And we were hearing all about that a couple of weeks ago. And of course also our theme verse for the year, Jesus' mother saying to the servants at the wedding of Cana, do whatever he tells you. So blessings upon the Denley family who have taken Jesus at his word and are doing whatever he has told them to do, even if it means coming back to Hampshire and coming here to Southsea, the other side of, uh, of the Straits of the Isle of Wight. Last week, we thought of Jesus' commitment to us, like Ruth's commitment to Naomi, not just for a date night, for Valentine's Day, for a one-night stand, but through thick and through thin, through death and resurrection, bringing to us joy and light and hope and delight. Jesus' love transforming lives from right here. So like Bartimaeus, whom we were also hearing about, we find ourselves following him wherever he leads from the heart of South Sea to Portsmouth to England to the ends of the world. Well, today 
we're thinking about how our financial lives fit into this kind of commitment. How does our money fit with our discipleship? In our first passage, Paul has given us some clear and detailed answers to all of that. Some about where we're going and some about who we are. So there are three important things about wealth which Paul wants us to be aware of. And the first is that money is really hard to keep hold of. It's a strange truth, isn't it, that the more money we have, that we get, we gather around ourselves in order to give ourselves security, the more of it that we have, the less secure we feel, and the more money we have to spend in order to wall ourselves around and protect us and the money that we now have. But in the end, possessions aren't something that we can keep hold of. They're not ours. They're not ours to keep. We don't bring them into the world. We don't get to take them out of the world when we leave it. Possessions come and they go. So we need to hold on to them lightly, with a light touch. As John Wesley was able to say when he saw his house burning down, he was able to say, from practice, it's only possessions. They're only possessions. So firstly, money uh, is hard to keep hold of. Secondly, money isn't a long-term investment. It doesn't have any permanent long-term value. It might feel good in the short term, a good investment now, but it's useless over the longer term. For that, we need righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. These are the kinds of things that Paul is pointing to that God actually values. They're the kinds of things that we can take with us. They're the treasures that God recognizes. There was once a very wealthy man. He'd spent a lot of time getting rich. He'd uh, built up his possessions. And suddenly he found that he was dying. His life was coming to an end. So he was praying night by night, Lord, would you let me bring with me some of the tre treasures, some, some of the possessions, some of the resources that I have spent all my life building up? And an angel came to him in the night and said to him, I'm sorry, you can't bring any of that stuff with you. But he said, please, 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 would you not just bend the rules this once and let me bring with me some of all of this that I have gathered around me. Some of this which I've invested my life to, um, to, to bring together. And the angel went away and checked and came back the next night and he said, well, Good news, I suppose. You're allowed a once-only opportunity to bring what you consider most valuable, what you treasure the most, with you to heaven. So he said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And he went and sold everything that he had, all that he had. He, he, um, he cashed in, he sold up, and he turned it all into gold bullion. And he packed his suitcase with gold bullion. And now he knew that he was going to be well off in heaven. So when the final day came, he took his suitcase with him and he got there to the heavenly portals and he knocked on the door. 
And St. Peter opened the door and said, welcome, welcome to heaven. And he said, oh, thank you. And he reached for his bag and St. Peter said, you can't bring that in with you. He said, no, 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 you need to check. I've, I've done a deal, it's all right, I, it's okay, I'm allowed to bring this in with me. Please, go and check. So St. Peter goes off and he checks and he comes back and he says, well, I'm astonished. He says, you're absolutely right, you're allowed to bring on one carry-on suitcase with you. He says, but I'm supposed to check what's in it before you bring it in. So he picks it up, oh, it's rather heavier than he was expecting, and he puts it on a... Uh, on a table there at the gate, and he opens the suitcase, and he looks inside, and he says, you brought paving slabs? <laughs> it's not worth the effort. It's not worth anything in heaven. You can use money really well now to invest in the things that you can take with you, if you use it to resource righteous and godly and loving actions. But don't be confused that the money is the long-term treasure. It's eternal life that you need to take hold of. That's what St. Paul is saying in this passage. It's eternal life that we must take hold of. And following Jesus faithfully is the only key, it's the only resource, it's the only credit card that will get us into eternal life with him. Not how much money we have. As Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Things that we might be tempted to try and buy, but things which God gives us freely as we offer him our lives. So we've got money, is easily lost, it, it's temporary, it comes and it goes. Secondly, it's not an eternal investment. And thirdly, Paul is saying, money isn't just a distraction from what really counts, it's also actually a trap. It can get hold of us and draw us into immoral and godless actions, things which are the opposite of Christ-like behavior. It's no mistake that if you just think of all the films that you know which are about money, they will not almost certainly, I can only think of one that's about using money for wonderful, noble, beautiful, pure means, for blessing other people and building up their lives. Almost all the films that we know are about getting money quickly, like Breaking Bad, or... Um, using criminal or immoral activity in order to gain money, like uh, Wolves on Wall, Wall Street, or um, about cutting corners disastrously. This is an old, for those of you who uh, saw your films like me a rather longer time ago, Towering Inferno. Destroying relationships, like um, uh, Social Network, or... Um, illegal or immoral behavior. This is an old one as well. Indecent proposal. It's all about how money draws you into choices and temptations that seem glamorous but are not godly. This is what money so easily does to us. 
Paul says, if you don't take control of your lives, money can take control of it for you. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money can cause us to lose our faith, to neglect, abuse, or break our most important relationships, to harden our hearts, to miss our way. There was a farmer at an agricultural um, display, a, a show. I, once, I heard this from a, uh, a Scottish pastor, and it, it works much better in the Scottish accent, but I'm not, going to, uh, I'm not going to put you through that trial. So he goes to the show, and he sees this, um, he sees this poster, and it's advertising a, um, an exciting kind of daredevil uh, flight in a plane. And he goes up to the pilot and he says, well, I and my wife, we would, love to, um, we would love to have that experience. We've never flown before, but 20 pounds is an awful lot of money. So the pilot says to him, well, he says, I tell you what, if you, you come and have the flight with me, you and your wife, your good lady, and I'll do all my most scary and exciting and dramatic moves. I'll do the loop, the loop, and I'll spiral, and I'll, you know, I'll do all of that stuff. And if you can get to the end of the flight without making a sound, I'll, get, I'll, uh, I'll let you off the 20 pounds. So the farmer says, that sounds like a good deal. We'll do that. So they, they do that. They get in the plane, they, they're up, and they fly crazily all across the sky around, around, around the, uh, the, the show ground. And they get to the end, and the pilot says, I am astonished, he says. Congratulations. He said, I did all my toughest, biggest, scariest stuff, and you never said a word. That's amazing. And the farmer says, well, yep, I agree. It was hard especially when my wife fell out of the plane, but 20 pounds is 20 pounds. <laughs> so what are we to do about this hold that money can have on us? Well, Paul has some very practical advice for those of us who are rich. You all know who you are. Or perhaps you don't. In Paul's world... Congregation like this would have contained senators and slaves. And they would have been very clear which side of the line they were, whether they were rich or whether they were poor. In a congregation like ours, we're probably all amongst the top 5% most wealthy in the world. So it may be that what Paul is saying applies to each one of us, possibly. Let me read you some of his words. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their, help in, their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So his advice, you'll have heard, works in these three directions. The temporariness of money, the, the fact that it's not eternal investment, and the fact that it distorts and changes our character. 
So firstly, Paul says, be content with what you have. Money comes, money goes. Don't let that worry you. Don't be comparing yourselves with celebrities on TV. Don't go looking at the news at the, uh, at, sorry, at uh, the week, at those, those houses that you will never own. Don't worry about the money that other people have. Don't compare yourselves with other members of your family. If, like some of us, you're the only member of your family who's not made an extension to their house, I'm not bitter. Even the impoverished widow that Jesus and his disciples were watching was able, out of her extreme poverty, to find the wherewithal to bless others, to bless God, to live a good life. It doesn't matter how much or how little money you have, you still have the resources that God has given you to be a blessing to others, even if just with your smile. So, don't be arrogant if you do have money. God hates arrogance. Arrogance isn't a credit to you. It's no credit to you as if, as if your having money makes you better than others. In God's eyes, it makes you more in a more dangerous position because God hates the arrogance that so often comes with money. What God loves is humility and the readiness to bless others. Of course, you know the, the way to be content, don't you? The best way to be content and humble. Well, it's to use that, what to us sounds like an old wives' um, adage, to give thanks for what you have constantly, to count your blessings one by one. Actually, it's a biblical injunction of St. Paul. Give thanks constantly for the good things that God has given you. And actually, it requires tremendous courage to do that when times are hard. Some of us here have been through very hard times, and to go on giving thanks is tremendously tough. It requires great courage and strength of mind and spirit. But if you will, if you will keep on giving thanks for what you've got ten times a night, whatever the situation, you'll find that you become less dependent on possessions and the money that, that buys them. So firstly, give thanks. Stay humble. Secondly, lay up real treasure. Concentrate on your character, which is what you'll have forever. Learn to be patient and kind good and loving and faithful. Seek justice for others. Find ways of, what you, of using what you currently have to do things that matter eternally. Helping those in need, spreading the gospel, blessing the church, strengthening other Christians. As Paul says, do good and be rich in good deeds. It was really interesting, me reading that out to you, Paul is saying to me, command those who are wealthy to do good and to be rich in good deeds. That way you will have a firm foundation for the coming age and have a life which is truly rich, truly life. Well, thirdly, 
be generous and willing to share. This is your lethal weapon against the hold that money can take on you, the bonds that it can wrap around your heart. I don't know if any of you saw that Spider-Man 3, and you remember that black netting that kind of started to kind of get round his red suit. Each time he did something, each time he thought something wicked or mean or wanted vengeance. Giving away is your surest weapon in your fight against the control of money that it, it wants to have on you. As you give it away, you strike a mortal blow against your own selfishness. The one true answer to the compulsions of money, the addiction of greed, is to keep giving it away. To be generous, not with other people's money, but with your own. Whether it's your money or your possessions, giving it away can be really tough. I know that. I was that boy who, uh, at the Christmas present service, where we had to give away, you know, our presents to go to poor children in other countries. And my mother said, no, you can't give away rubbish that you don't want. You have to give away your most favorite toy. That was so mean. <laughs> it's really hard to give away what you have worked hard for. But each time you do it, not only do you give blessing to others and gain a blessing yourself, you also become more free. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, we've heard a lot from St. Paul, but Jesus is right there with him in that marvelous encounter with Zacchaeus. Here is someone who has discovered to his cost the insights that Paul has been offering us this morning. The love of money has led him to all sorts of evil. He's got a job for which he is spurned by his friends and shunned by his family. He's got daily work which leads him to harden his heart, to align himself with a brutal and corrupt regime, to act in callous, immoral, even violent ways. And his life choices have separated him from his God and make it hard for him to approach God in the form of Jesus walking past him. All he can do is to climb a, a tree and watch from the back of the crowd. He is locked in to the choices that he has made. He cannot break through to Jesus. As Paul noted, wanting to get rich, he fell into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunged him into ruin and destruction. Eager for, for money, he wandered from his faith and pierced himself with many griefs. Don't be like Zacchaeus. But God in Jesus is not content with Zacchaeus where he is. Jesus, Jesus, who has no money, whose life is humble contentment and generous self-sacrifice, is absolutely free to approach Zacchaeus, unlike the others, to offer him his friendship, 
to offer him hope and salvation. Zacchaeus had discovered that Paul was right. His great wealth had separated him from all that was most worth having, leaving him lonely and afraid. And so it's with huge joy that he recognizes God in Jesus stepping into his life and welcomes him back to his home. And that joy leads immediately and painlessly to two really powerful discoveries that Zacchaeus makes. And the first is that he has to put right what he has set wrong in the lives of others. He needs to make amends to all those who for the sake of money he has wronged. If I have cheated anyone of anything, he says, I will pay back four times the amount. I will put right my life which has been wrong. Secondly, he learns that he has to break the stranglehold of money over him by generosity. He has to become generous. Here and now, I give half of all that I own to the poor. All of my possessions and all of my money, half of that I will give away right now. And almost certainly he would have learnt that anything he had left <coughs> between what the half he gave away and the four times he was making right the wrong he'd done, what little he had left would be at Jesus' disposal for whatever it was that Jesus wanted to do through him. The blessing he wanted to create in others' lives, the blessings he wanted to pour onto Zacchaeus. They say that for most of us, the last place that we're converted is in our wallet. Well, for Zacchaeus, it was the first place. He was converted there straight away. He got it right at the beginning. There are two spiritual equations that are at work here. Holding on to money stops us holding on to Jesus, holding on to God. Or holding on to Jesus will stop us holding on to money. And the question is, for you, which equation is at work in your life? Are you holding on to Jesus or are you holding on to money? And Jesus said, you can't do both. You're going to put one or the other first. You're either going to worship, give your life to, set everything around making money, or you're going to do that around God. Which will it be for you? It would seem that we are going to have to take seriously the financial practical implications if with St. Paul we want to use his great words of acclamation. God, the blessed, the only ruler, is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen.